Hello again and welcome. This is episode five of the Veritable Veteran podcast, uh, which I'm excited about because apparently according to uh, the people that study these things, the average podcast only makes it to episode four. Uh, so we have cleared that hurdle and we're moving on. This is the first interview that I've done. I'm really excited. It's actually with my best friend. Um, and he was uh, he was in the Marines for five years. And he's got a, a little bit different perspective on uh, leaving the military when he did. Because he left after five years. I left after 11. So it's really neat hearing his perspective. And just his view on how his time in the military went and how leaving the military affected him and affected his life. So I'm really excited. It's a good interview. I hope you guys really enjoy it. I, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, and again, first interview of many and it's going to be a good time. So enjoy the show. This is the Veritable Veteran Podcast, bringing truth and exposure to the struggles veterans and their families face post-military. Depression. Anger. PTSD. Suicide. Who am I? What do I do now? Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Veritable Veteran Podcast. Uh, I'm excited today. We're doing our first interview. Uh, I'm actually really excited because this the, the guy we're interviewing is my best friend. We've been friends for, what, 20 years now? I think yeah, so. I, think at least. I was doing the math the other day. I think it's been 20 years. Um, at least 20 years. Not I don't feel old at all now. Yeah, I know. I, I had that, that. I had those emotions the other day. So you're welcome. You get to have those now too. Um so anyway, this is, uh, this is my friend Bryce. Uh, we joined the military together uh, right out of high school. Why don't we just start actually with how we, like how we met and kind of how we came up through like our, our story coming up through high school and everything a little bit, and then we'll get Oh, into- good. How detailed do you want to get? Because I can, <laughs> oh, we- I can go deep on this. We can go for days. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I remember the yeah, day ahead. in school when we became maybe not best friends right at that point, but pretty good friends. Yeah. Was when we read The Cask of Amontillado. I think that's what it's called in English <laughs> cat class. You remember that? Yep. And we were laughing at the guy for being stupid enough to get bricked up in the cellar. <laughs> you know, laughing, at, laughing at him. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's kind of dark that we're laughing at this dude. But I mean, this guy, this guy gets it. He gets me. So, yeah. Yeah. At that point, it was the beginning of a, a beautiful friendship, right? We just became and then that, and, yeah. But yeah, we've been best friends since since high school. Yeah, uh, you'd been going to that that private school that you've I think you've talked about it on the show before. Mm-hmm. But my uh, our freshman year of high school was actually my first year at that school. So prior to that, I'd been homeschooled all through eighth grade and. Ninth grade was my introduction to anything else besides being homeschooled. And obviously you were there. So it was yeah, a, a wild ride right from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. 
did three years of high school together, and then uh, my parents ended up moving our senior year, so ended yep. up going to a, a high school, a public high school. With went from what twelve kids in our our class there at Gerard Alliance, and went to six hundred kids in my graduating class up in Syracuse, New York. So that was a bit of culture shock for me. Yeah, it was a bit of a switch. That was also, yeah, definitely the point in my life where I was like, "Yep, yeah, I'm enlisted now." <laughs> so. Yeah, I enlisted when I was still 17, got my parents to sign off on it with the understanding that I would still obviously be graduating high school before I went off. But So I did the delayed entry program. Yeah, I didn't realize you yeah. enlisted when you were 17. I, I knew you were, you enlisted. I pretty much went and enlisted right after we moved to Syracuse. Yeah, because we had talked about. Probably weeks after going to that high school. Right. You're like, oh, I'm done with this place. But I remember we had talked about, yeah. uh, we had thrown around the idea of the Air Force Academy and we talked mm-hmm. about that and then that kind of got kiboshed and then yeah, I know you were the first one to talk about the Marine Corps and I was like, yeah, you're nuts. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you remember like when we were, uh, I don't remember if it was, I don't remember what year it was, but Sometime watching on on the news, I think we were both watching. I think we were on the phone watching something over going on in Iraq, and we were watching it, and they were saying something about the Marine Corps, and I was like, man, these guys are <laughs> – these guys seem to be like they're the ones going after it. Right. Like it seems like they would be the guys to go with if we were going to go. Yeah. And we kind of kind of laughed it off, and, but then getting serious about it later on. I went to a – I think I went to a Navy recruiter first and then that guy was like, Hey, you you scored really good on your whatever pre-questionnaire thing. You should consider going on a submarine. And I was like, goodbye. <laughs> it does not sound like what I want to do. Of all the things I can do in the military. That yeah. is one that I will not. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, I remember uh, we were still in Pennsylvania when I got like some random Marine Corps advertisement in the mail and said something on this little postcard type thing to the effect of what do you do when you're faced with a challenge? Like, do you give up? Do you run the other direction? Do you face it head on? And I was like, mm, it seems like a solid question <laughs> that stuck with me for whatever reason. Yeah. That's, that's what stuck with me. And that's what kind of prompted me to go to the Marine Corps recruiter. And the more I thought about it, the more I figured, you know what, if I want to get out there and I want to get in the fight, then those are definitely the guys that I want to go with. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit different. Uh, I know you had enlisted first, and I started kind of questioning what I wanted to do, and I, I basically just followed in your shadow and your footsteps and <laughs> joined. So again, it was I, you know, I wanted to, and I think I had always, I had always wanted to, uh, just growing up, wanted to be in the military. Um, yeah, just wasn't exactly sure how. Uh, I'm glad that we didn't do the Air Force Academy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad that we ended up joining the Marine Corps, but I don't know that I would have if it wasn't for you. So, you know, that's a big thank you on, you know, my behalf. So, yeah. Well, thanks for coming with me. Cause that yeah. definitely made it a, <laughs> a lot more fun. So, so I would, I would ask you when you joined, but I remember exactly when, cause I was there, uh, August 22nd, yeah. 2006, man. Yeah. What a day. 
That was a day. That was a long day. <laughs> that was a that was a long thirteen weeks. Uh, but yeah, that that day was especially long. So I don't. Man, know we if- like we we hooked up at like a connecting flight uh-huh. to Paris Island, yep. and we were on the flight together. And then we got there. I don't even think we got on the same bus from the airport to Paris Island. I think we were on different buses. And then I didn't see you again for all of receiving. Yep. And I was like, oh, my recruiter probably lied to me. I'll probably never see the guy again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, it was Whatever. very long lasting. <laughs> I just do this thing by myself. That's fine. Everybody else's. Right. Yeah. I remember um, going through receiving. I, I don't. So I don't know that we've ever actually even discussed what that was like, you know, for me. And I was going to, you know, just relay this. I, I didn't, I don't remember eating anything for the first probably three or four days. And I'm not exactly, I remember, I just, I could my first encounter with a box lunch thinking, wow, this this kind of blows. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I had my food and they brought the box lunch and the only thing I could eat was the orange or the, the, Mm. there was an orange, you know, an apple or a pear. And I, the only thing I could eat was the fruit and my stomach hurt so bad because I was so nervous that I I literally couldn't eat. So that was, you know, for the first three or four days and I ended up in the wrong platoon. I was in 2092. And we ended up graduating from 2093, correct? It was 2093? Yep, yep. 2093. I was in 2092, and then they ended up calling me down, and eventually they, they figured it out, got it sorted, and we ended up in the same mm-hmm. in the same platoon. Uh, and then we, you know, endured 13 weeks of, of fun. All right. I want to, before we go any further, make sure that we get this in because this is one of my favorite stories, <laughs> definitely from boot camp, but just <laughs> favorite stories ever is that <clears throat> my friend Evan the Marine in basic training became an expert scavenger. <laughs> and somehow, somehow would always find the uh, leftovers that our drill instructors had eaten in their, their little hooch and then discarded. There was, there was a piece of pizza one time. There was also an, an infamous cinnamon roll that he didn't share with me. He shared, he shared the piece of pizza with me, so I'll forgive him for, for not sharing the cinnamon yeah, roll. Yeah. But I remember him telling me the story that he, he got out of his rack in the middle of the night because he'd seen the drill instructor throw it away earlier, made his way over to the trash can, found this, I don't know if it was partially eaten or whatever, but a cinnamon roll got back into his rack and was sitting in his rack about to shove this thing in his face when all of a sudden the light snapped on. <laughs> so he threw himself back down on the rack and like shoved this thing under his pillow. I don't even yeah. remember why the lights came on. but that's- I don't even remember. I just know they came on and uh, my butthole got about the size of a pinhead and I stuffed that thing under <laughs> my pillow as I could and started praying uh, with every fiber of my being that mm-hmm. I would not get caught with this sticky cinnamon concoction. Uh, in my hands so fantastic yeah and i do remember getting woken up in the middle of the night to somebody saying here have this piece of pizza and half asleep <laughs> being like what okay what pizza sure, i'll okay. eat this pizza <laughs> of course i'm gonna eat this pizza uh, also I, i'm gonna go ahead and complain that i never got put on double rats i don't know if this is ever going to 
reach the ears of anybody who cares, but I went through right. boot camp without getting put on double rats, and I feel like that was a disservice to me. Yeah, yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's something that I still struggle with. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to eat food. Okay, I needed food. <laughs> needed food, all the food. I don't know that I ever, because I was a really picky eater growing up, and I'm sure you caught on to that, you know. But just super picky about anything, texture and flavor and all kinds of stuff. I just I had to have a certain type of food cooked a certain way and everything else. Mm. I got my wife says I'm a real picky eater. Yeah. Well that boot camp shattered that notion in my <laughs> mind. I ate everything I could get my hands on. Uh, yeah, for if it, sure. If it crossed my tray, it was going it was going down. So including extra boxes of cereal, which didn't work out well for me. Somehow you raided the trash can every night and never got in trouble. I take an extra box of cereal one day and I get reamed for it in front of the entire chow hall. That's oh, I do remember that. I do remember that. Good time. <laughs> the one drill instructor in all of Paris Island who I'd never seen before and somehow knew how to say my last name, yeah. which is a feat. <laughs> so, Doesn't happen. So, so Bryce's last name is, is spelled S-C-H-O-C-H, and it's pronounced Shok. So we get to boot camp, and, and this is a, a common recurring thing throughout when we were growing up together, and it seems like it probably still is now. Um, but yep. everyone calls him Scoach. So we get to boot camp. Or Scooch. In there. Or what? Or Scooch. Scooch. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of uh, variations on the name. So every time they'd be like, you know, they'd say his name and, you know, Scoach, and then he would come out and kind of roll with it. Because um, I wasn't going to correct the drill instructor. Uh, yeah, excuse that me, probably would have been. My, a... my name is actually pronounced. Yeah. <laughs> this recruit's name is actually pronounced. You would have never gotten <laughs> those words out. They would have just killed you right there. No. Yeah. So, but there was a, a time that I got in trouble, which seemed I, I was always getting some extra attention because they liked to pick on me. Probably because I it's had true. my feelings written all over my face and they used to laugh at my red, angry face when they were making me do push ups. So, I was getting a little extra attention from the drill instructors and they wanted to to add some more uh, misery to the party. And they asked me who my rack mate was. And I said, recruit choke. And they all looked at me and they, they looked at each other and they looked back at me and they, which said, would normally mean that I got to join him in yeah, whatever yeah. festivities he was yeah. already partaking in. So, so right. <laughs> this is the one time he doesn't own up to, <laughs> to them calling him, you know, to his name, right? So no, actually, I because say, no, no, you no. said recruit Shoke, so then I, they said recruit Shoke. Who? 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 And mind <laughs> you, we're like a month and a half in, right? So I mean, we've been there for like six solid weeks, and these guys have been there, you know, up in our business for twenty-four hours a day for you know six weeks. And when I said his name, they looked at each they other. They looked like up I had, in our grill, but we've literally been up in their grill since. Yeah, well, Sergeant Gillen had an actual grill. He actually had a, a grill, a gold grill, which is a funny story, and you know that he that he told us more like a highway for saliva. Yeah, flew out of his <laughs> mouth into your face while and he was onto your face him. every time he was screaming at you. Oh, that's so great. Tell him, uh, you know, my 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 rack mate is recruit Shoke, and they all look at each other like I've got you know three heads. And they're like, who's who's Shok? And lo and behold, Mr. Shok over here does not move an inch. <laughs> well, we were in formation. It's true. So uh, <laughs> I just continued pushing. And, and I honestly, I was I thought it was really funny that they'd never found him. And I just I kind of I was like, well done. Well done, Bryce. 
<laughs> so that's uh yeah. So his name getting mispronounced was was a great uh a great tool. It's a great cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we joined boot camp at the same time. Obviously we graduated boot camp at the same time and that is where our paths separated. So I mm-hmm. went into marine combat training, which was the cuz every marine is trained as a rifleman, um at least as a basic rifleman. So if you say that to an infantry Super. marine, uh, and you say every Marine's a rifleman, they'll probably want they'll to laugh at you. At you. Yeah. So they'll laugh at you. And, and in some ways they'll probably want to fight you because that's just not true. They are trained as a basic rifleman. Um, but a rifleman has a lot more tenets to it and requirements beyond just being a basic rifleman. So, that being said, I went to Marine combat training because I had an aviation support option MOS. You, on the other hand, and I mentioned this in the one of the episodes that we did earlier, you had the option for presidential security. So kind of, can you explain that, how that all went down? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, when I was talking to my recruiter early on, he was trying to figure out what MOS I wanted to, to do. I was pretty dead set on infantry because that's, I mean, the whole point of why I was joining the Marine Corps in the first place. I wanted to get in the fight. I wanted to do that. I mean, so he was uh, all right with that. He's like, yeah, you can do that. You can also do all this other stuff, trying to get me to consider other options. And I was just like, no, I'm pretty good with infantry. Like, that's what I want. He's like, okay, well, you know, if you do that, you could, uh, you could do presidential security. You scored high, way high enough for that. And I was like, okay, well, what's that? And he sold me this very elaborate bill of goods on how you can go and guard the president and fast rope off the side of the white house and all this other junk. And so I said, yeah, Wait, you that didn't sounds pretty that. cool. You didn't I'm, pretty, that? I'm a, I'm a gullible, gullible high schooler. That sounds awesome. Well, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so I signed that contract with, it was basically an infantry contract with basically the guarantee that in boot camp I would get screened to go and do the, the Yankee white program. Okay. So in boot camp, I don't even remember at what point it was. They came and pulled all the infantry guys because it was all the infantry guys. I mean, in true recruiter fashion, he's like, yeah, you have this presidential security contract when he probably knew that all of the infantry contracts in boot camp were going to get pulled and screened for this gig. Yeah. So <clears throat> fortunately, I somehow got through the screening, probably helped that I didn't have tattoos because they were really big with eliminating you for tattoos and any sort of criminal record, any sort of negative police contact. Didn't have any of that, so that also helped. And by the end of the whole thing, I think we started with like, I don't know, probably 60 plus guys in this room. At the end of the day, there was basically me and three other guys left. And then after the oral interview, which was, a, I don't know, a couple days, maybe a couple weeks later, the uh, it was just the two of us that got selected to go. Yeah. So they uh, they brought me in front of some <clears throat> some Navy guy and a psychologist and then another drill instructor. And they asked me all these questions about basically if I would be willing to serve under somebody like Hillary Clinton. So I lied and they bought it. So I got to go. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, that was the, the lie that I was sold was anyone could, could get screened for that program. So I could take any MOS, whatever it was. And right. Um, and then I could get screened in boot camp, go and do the presidential security, and then I would finish my contract as an infantry marine. So 
the reason I took the aviation support option was my mom was sitting about a foot away from me and she was basically shaking at the idea of me doing infantry. And I could feel the tension from her and the anxiety uh, that she was dealing with. And I, I really didn't want to, um, to sign the infantry contract with her sitting there. Um, so I ended up just taking the aviation support option, you know, and my recruiters kind of in the background, like winking, like, yeah, it'll be okay. Just sign this. And we'll, you know, you get to do what you want. Uh, and obviously that, that didn't happen. So when that point came in boot camp and you guys all went away, I remember somehow I wasn't there when they came and got you guys. And when I got mm. back, um, y'all, y'all weren't there. And I was like, where's, you know, where's Bryce? Where's everybody? And they're like, oh, they went to do the, the, um, uh, uh, presidential security screening and I, my heart just dropped. I got sick. You thought you missed it. Yeah. Well, and it's not that I thought, cause I, I started asking questions and I was like, well, I, I thought I was, you know, I thought anybody was able to do that. And then that's when everybody, everybody else seemed to know this. It was like common knowledge. I don't know. You have to be infantry. Uh-huh. Like, oh, great. Awesome. I'm glad that I was you know informed of that before I got to this point in my life. Uh, but I was not. So anyway, that's where my, <laughs> my struggle kind of began. But anyway, so you go, uh, you get out of boot camp, go to infantry training battalion, and then kind of explain, because I don't know exactly how that all went for you. I know you had to go to a couple different schools as well. So how, what was that path like for you? Uh, yeah, so we graduated boot camp, and I actually got to go back home and basically work for the recruiter, I think for two weeks. So I kind of got a little bit of a break. I graduated boot camp. I went home and basically just got sent to different high schools in my dress uniform to go try and recruit other gullible suckers to sign up and sign their lives away. So uh, yes. then I went down to back down to North Carolina to camp, uh, camp Geiger for the school of infantry and got reintroduced to that camp lifestyle. Camp, camp giggles. Yeah. I remember like, so, you know, graduating boot camp, you're on a high, get to go home for two weeks and basically hang out and it's a lot of fun. And then you go back down there and all of a sudden the lights are being turned on at zero dark 30 and people are yelling at you again. You're like, Oh, Oh good. Here we go again. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was a terrible yeah. nightmare that I woke up from, but apparently... <laughs> no, but it was, it was good. It was a definitely a good experience for me. There was a lot of good guys in my platoon and I had a lot of fun in infantry school because it was definitely geared to more towards what, you know, I wanted out of the whole, the whole experience, you know, we're actually training for, you know, to go to war. And although that's just really scratching the tip of the iceberg and by no means were we ready to quote unquote, go to war by the time I graduated, it was at least kind of that first real step towards that. And then after we graduated that, I went to basic security guard school and it was like, oh, well, that's right. I'm not going to war. <clears throat> I'm going to go do something. I have no idea what I'm doing because <laughs> I still really didn't know what presidential security is. Nobody at SOI knew what it was. Yeah. All I know is that when they asked me, hey, uh, this says that you have a B billet. What's your B billet? And, you know, B billets are usually somebody with five years already on is doing a B billet. And most right. people... Yep. Do not graduate boot camp and already have a billet assignment. So right. I'm like, oh, that's Yankee White. And just about everybody's like, I don't know what that is, but sure, I'll put that down. <laughs> so, you know, finally get to basic security guard school and I ended up going with the 
two other guys from my SOI platoon went with me. One of them was actually the dude who got screened with me in boot camp for it. And so we went to the basic security guard school up in Norfolk, Virginia. That was, I think, I think we were there about two months because we were in receiving up there for a while. And that was a lot of fun too. A lot of good training in a lot of ways for some noob right out of high school who still didn't know what he was doing. So still a lot of really basic stuff. But, you know, yeah. another school got my first real experience with kind of being an adult and being on my own for a week in Libo and watching all the other Marines go out and waste all their money at strip clubs and yep, God knows what else. And I actually saved up all my money cause I didn't spend it on anything and made some money being the DD for a bunch of guys while we were there. So that was fun. <laughs> and then yeah, graduated basic security guard school and got sent to eighth and I mm. <laughs> yeah. famous Marine Corps barrack so, in Washington. Uh, anybody for everybody because. <clears throat> Probably most people don't know, but Eighth and I is the Marine Barracks in Washington, D.C., which could probably be described as the ceremonial headquarters of the Marine Corps. The Commandant of the Marine Corps lives up there, and it's where they have all their fancy schmancy parades, and the Silent Drill Platoon is headquartered there. The Color Guard and the Body Bearers, they're all up there, too. And basically, that's where the Marine Corps band, yep, those guys who... I won't get into that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yep. Those Marines, those hard chargers. Anyway. So all the guys that are in the presidential security force unit have to go there while they wait for their security clearances to get approved, which can be anywhere from a couple of months to a year. And while you're waiting there, you're basically just part of the security force, which means, cause it sounds cool, but it's not because all that means is that you're standing post 12 on, 12 off you get four day weekends every other week which is nice but 12 hours is a heck of a long time to be standing outside the front gate in your charlies or your alphas or whatever it is that day so that was it was an interesting experience it's not one that i cared to repeat and as soon as i got my security clearance approved and was out of there i could not have been happier (laughs) so that program basically takes you one of two directions you can either go up to camp david and be physical security up there, or you can be assigned to the White House Communications Agency, which basically means you're still providing physical security for a couple different compounds, but you also get to travel a lot. So, okay. so what I is got the, to go to a lot of cool places that yeah, I wouldn't that, have got to go otherwise, which is That's nice. my next question is, so the White House Communications Agency, is that like, is that at the White House or is that like, are you the guys that are at the White House guarding the doors or or, or what? No, those are those would be White House NCOs. So a very, very few of the guys in the program can get selected to be the White House NCOs and go open the doors and or hold umbrellas for Obama. But I did not get selected to do that, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> but yeah, basically, the uh, the compounds that we are responsible for house anything and everything that you could think of that would have to do with the president and his need to communicate as commander in chief. And then whenever he travels and all that gear ends up going to where he's going, we have to go, they send a team over there to, to guard that. Okay. So we got to go, I got to go to Paris, Trinidad, got to go on the vacation to Martha's Vineyard when Obama went up there. And basically 
you go up there and you stand your post, but then when he's not there and when he leaves and before he actually arrives, you're basically a tourist earning your per diem, hanging out, <laughs> seeing all the sites. So yeah. it was a, it was a cool experience for a single guy. It was a really cool gig. Yeah. And sounds like it. did that from 2008 to 2010. Yeah. And then, uh, in 2010, I was kind of coming up on my, my time to be gone. So my staff sergeant pulled me into his office. He's like, Hey, it's about time to start considering where you where you want to go from here. There's a couple different options that we can talk about. And I was like, well, I just want to go wherever I can and deploy. That's, that's all I want. <laughs> he was like, okay, well, I can send you over to 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines. They're getting ready to go and do their pre-deployment workup. So if you want to do that, you can. I was like, yep, send it. So ended up going and doing that, which turned out to be a really good thing for me. Because I got to go and deploy, which is what I ultimately wanted. Yep. Yeah. So around that time when you were leaving, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were leaving the presidential security gig is when I was um, making my lateral move into infantry from the aviation side. Because I had deployed with 2nd Lab Battalion, like I said in the other episode. I deployed to Iraq in 2008 and then I came back, went back to the aviation side for a little bit and then basically immediately started working on a, an infantry package. So I had gotten back from deployment, went into getting into infantry as I was going through ITB, the infantry training battalion, um, the official like infantry training school. Uh, I was an NCO, but I was going through that and you were doing your workup, getting ready to deploy to Marja, because yep. that was right after they they pushed into Marja. Uh, one six and three six took Marja, along with was it two two? I think it was two two second battalion second marines. I think um, so. I think there was there was three or four, and I apologize to those guys. I can't remember exactly which ones. I just remember one six and three six took it. Two six came in and relieved them along with some other battalions. And then I came in with three, nine uh, after that. So yep. you had been there six months and I got there. <clears throat> our, paths, our paths crossed in at Dwyer. Uh, we yep. got to see each other. I was there coming in and you were basically, you were on your way out. And then we yep. got to see each other for about five, 10 minutes. And then, yeah. Say, hey, what's up? And we didn't get a picture because we no, were pretty stupid. And we didn't because you know yeah, pictures aren't cool. So don't you know? Don't take pictures. You might actually get to have memories and cool stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So you deployed. Um, what did you do on your deployment again? Uh, I was assigned to the jump platoon, which basically means I was the personal security detail for the battalion commander. Because I got to 2-6 and our sergeant major rightly looked at me and goes, you've been out of the mix for a while. You're probably not ready to jump right back into an inf infantry platoon. So you're going to be part of my, well, his and the battalion commander's personal security detail. So, which could have been worse because we went over there with Colonel Kyle Ellison. And that guy is a very... Very much a go-getter. So where other battalion commanders might have sat in the fob a lot more, he was out and about just about every day 
<laughs> and we got into a lot with the guy, so it, it could have definitely have been worse. Yeah, as far as getting deployed and not getting to see anything. So, so yeah. when you when you got back, this is one part of your career and your time in the military that I'm quite fuzzy on because I was deep into my own shenanigans, getting mm-hmm. in my workup and then deploying. When you got back from Afghanistan, how long did you have before you EAS? Uh, we got back in January of 2011, and I EAS in August. Okay, so two six was actually turning, getting ready to turn around and do another pre-deployment workup and jet right back out to Afghanistan. Yeah, <clears throat> and I had had my reenlistment contract drawn up right before we left Afghanistan, so that you know. My, my bonus was going to be non-taxable and I was going to get a whole lot of money without being taxed on it and get to sign back up and go to squad leaders course and all this other cool yep. high speed stuff to keep going. And cause you know, originally when I joined up, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do my 20, do 20 years and retire, live the dream. <laughs> but you know, what, what changed that for me was really that deployment. And I had a lot of good buddies in my platoon who I watched go through all sorts of things with their marriages while they were gone, have their kids be born while they were gone, miss things happening with their kids while they were gone. And having a family was always a big priority for me because of the, the way I was raised or whatever, or just kind of, my feelings on on the subject, but it was just something that I always felt was, you know, definitely the right thing to do, definitely the right thing to do for me and something that I'd always wanted. And at that point, I mean, I wasn't in any kind of a serious relationship, didn't have a girlfriend or anything like that, but I knew that if that was something that I really wanted to be serious about, then the military was probably not the best environment to be able to do that effectively in. Yeah. Because I knew that I wanted to be around for my wife, for my kids. So watching that on deployment, I knew it and I kind of shoved it to the back of my mind and was like, eh, not really, not really the time to be worrying about it. You don't even have a girlfriend. What are you stressed about that for? <laughs> and then we got back yeah. and got back, got us actually assigned to a Fox company and started uh, getting ready to do our workup and now I'm actually got a got a team and we're training and in the field and I'm doing my absolute best to make sure that I'm up to speed on all the stuff now because next time we deploy I'm actually going to be with a line company and not just running around with the BC so I want to be on my game and really kind of trying to put my best foot forward kind of a deal and I think it was in June mm-hmm. one of a uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours. His wife texts me in the, not the middle of the night. She texts me in the evening, just after we got back from a week in the field, Friday evening, I'm getting ready to go to bed. Cause I'm beat. I'm like, yep. Time to go to bed. <laughs> Bedtime. And I get a text like, Hey, I've got a girl that I want you to friend on Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, <clears throat> that sounds great. Cause you know, <laughs> there, I'd been, there, there had been other instances where I'd had people try and set me up before and, nothing had really <laughs> worked out <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not, not in the mood for this. And right. But you know, I ended up getting on Facebook and friending this, this girl and thought I was going to roll over and go back to bed. 
And then I got another text. No, you gotta, you gotta talk with her now. And I was like, no. Okay. <laughs> so I ended up talking with this, this woman for about, an, I don't know, hour and a half. We really hit it off. And then here we are 11 years later, married. <laughs> so yeah. Married so kids. <clears throat> met my wife on Facebook. Which would not, not be the way that I ever envisioned it happening, but it did. And a couple weeks later, ended up flying out to California to, to meet her and her family. And when uh, our retention officer came into the squad bay after I got back from that week, he's like, hey, you want to sign your papers? I was like, you know what? I do not. <laughs> yep. So <clears throat> I did not sign up back up i did not re-enlist and made the decision you know i think uh because you know ali and i had talked about it from the very get-go like if we're going to pursue anything it is with the intention of getting married like we're not going to waste our time with anything less yeah so from the get-go i knew that's where i wanted it to go and if i wanted it to go there i felt that for me the best thing was to not stay in which was not an easy choice for me I mean, it was in the sense that I was kind of googly eyed in love, kind of a <laughs> kind of a thing, I guess. And that kind of probably made the decision a little easier. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, it's like, well, now what? What do I do? I had a plan for the next 15 years of my life going forward. And yep. now I've got to figure something else out. Yep. So I remember that, that happened pretty stand, quick. Standing, you went from it did you went from going to basically wanting to stay in, in, you know, May and then June hits and you start talking to your, you know, future wife, you didn't know that at the time, but talking to your future wife and all of a sudden it's like, bam, you know, we're not, you're not realisting. So that happened. Yep. You only had what a month and a half to, or maybe two months to really prep for getting out. Yep. So when that happened, I immediately get yanked out of the company that I was with and get put with the other short timers. So that was kind of like, a, oh, yep, this is happening kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Went from, you know, gung ho, getting ready to jet right back over there to, oh, now I'm getting out. So, you know, I stayed with it didn't really let it get into my head too much i remember standing in the shower one morning and just thinking to myself well you can still be in the fight somewhere else like it doesn't have to be in the military necessarily like get out go to school join the fbi or something like that so that was kind of my plan i was going to go to school and i was going to go work for some federal agency specifically like my plan was to apply for the fbi and go do that so i uh Got online real quick, sent an application to Liberty University. So I got accepted in that, that process was pretty easy just because they're really used to working with uh, military guys anyway, and that whole process was pretty streamlined. So right off the bat, I'm already getting ready to go to school and kind of have my, my new path, so to speak. Going to go to school and do the FBI thing, and at some point in there, going to get married which one of those three things happened really quick. <laughs> so started school. I got, got out of the Marine Corps in August, which was just kind of a, a surreal process. 
going through and checking out of all the different shops and going to the the TAPS class, which is the most worthless thing that the Department of the Defense does. Mm. And basically sat there for two days listening to people tell all of these Marines who are getting out how to collect unemployment. Uh, They glossed over how to use your GI Bill to go to school had like somebody from the state highway patrol. I don't even remember what state it was. Somebody from a highway patrol came and basically asked if anybody was interested. And then somebody from a trucking company came in and tossed out some like applications. And that was it. Yep. So, you know, like I said, I already had my plan and kind of knew what I wanted to do, but sitting in that class, because it's a required thing. It's supposed to take all the guys who are getting out of the military and kind of prepare them to enter the civilian workforce, civilian life. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this is worthless. Like you don't get anything out of this. Yeah. I mean, basically if I do all I know how to do, but I'm done with this is how I collect unemployment if I want. So that kind of left, left a bad taste in my mouth. And I remember (laughs) driving out of Camp Lejeune, like, all right, I'm free. Like no longer in the Marine Corps. I can leave all of that all of those expectations, all of that rigmarole behind me. And it was kind of kind of a cool feeling for, for a while, you know, mm-hmm. my own man, captain of my own destiny kind of a thing. <laughs> Got out, went home for a few days and then, uh, I don't know, a week later, drove down to Liberty University and started classes down there. And as this is going on, I'm still on the phone with my girlfriend at the time, all the time, my first semester at Liberty University basically consisted of going to class, going to the gym, and getting on Skype to Skype with her because she was out in California. I don't think I mentioned that. So she lives in California. I'm going to school in Virginia, which admittedly was a, a stupid idea on my part. <laughs> so every chance I get, I'm flying back out to California to, to see her and visit her. And quickly come to the conclusion we want to get married. Really hasn't been any reason not to get married at this point. But here I am all the way out in Virginia, and it's not really what either of us want. So me being the super smart person that I am was like, well, I have my BAH that I'm living on out here. She could just come out here and live with me while I go to school, <laughs> which was obviously obviously a stupid idea. And that didn't hold up too long. And her dad was like, no, you need to you need to get a job. Like if you guys are going to get married, because he knew, I mean, it wasn't any secret that that's what we wanted. Her family was on board with the whole thing. The first, the first time I'd flown out there and met the family, I got with her dad and basically asked permission to date his daughter with the understanding that that was our end goal. Right. And he was, he was, he's fine, but he was very supportive, but he was also very straightforward and honest with me, which I appreciated. Like what you're making right now, it's not enough. If you're going to my, marry my daughter, I expect you basically to have more to put on the table to be able to provide for her, Yeah, which completely made sense. And at the same time, even in that first semester at Liberty, I mean, good school, no complaints as far as like the classes or the people or anything, but just being there in the classroom setting, in this full-time school setting, I just was not... I, I don't know. I just remember they're sitting like sitting there thinking, why am I doing this? Yeah, that was like, I am accomplishing right. nothing. I, I was, yeah, still doing all of my general ed courses. Yeah. So nothing, 
nothing that I was doing was relevant to the career that I was planning on pursuing. Right. Nothing that I was learning was <laughs> relevant to anything else beyond getting credits. Right. And I was just very dissatisfied, I guess is the word with that situation compounded with the fact that I was in a long distance relationship with my girlfriend. And I was just like, after I talked with her about it and her dad, and I was like, yeah, this is done. I considered originally going out there and just kind of switching schools and going to California Baptist University, which is where she went. She had already graduated by that point, but I was like, you know, it's another decent school with a decent reputation and she had no complaints about it. So it was like, yeah, I can just go out there and kind of do the same thing, but be out there with her. Yeah. And then just remember they're sitting there thinking like, but why, like, why, why would I do the full-time school thing? Like, that still leaves me in the same position as far as only having that basic housing allowance to live off of and being in school full time, which I did not want to do. <clears throat> so her father-in-law encouraged me to start looking into to law enforcement, just kind of local law enforcement. Cause he was a CHP officer at the time, California her, highway patrol. Her, her dad. Yep. Her dad. Yeah. Her dad was, yeah. My father-in-law. Yeah. So I started, actually started the application process with a couple different law enforcement agencies out in California, San Diego PD, NSO, LAPD, Riverside Sheriff's, which is actually who I got picked up with. So on my trips back and forth through California while I'm going to school in Virginia, I'm also starting the application process with all these different departments, get picked up by Riverside Sheriff's office, end up moving out to California after my second semester at Liberty, get married in May of 2012 and started the Sheriff's Academy, Basic Law Enforcement Academy out in California in, believe it or not, August of 2012. So <laughs> August of 2011, PAS from Marine Corps, August of 2012, um, back at it, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Similar kind of environment. Very, there was a very uh, paramilitary attrition style academy. So nothing I was not unfamiliar with or nothing I wasn't familiar with. Right. A, lot of, a lot of PT, a lot of physical correction. And I just kind of felt like, all right, <laughs> this is definitely better. <laughs> My, but I want to back up just ahead. a little bit and ask about when you first got out and went to school. I know you were you were going in your, you were getting involved uh, with, you know, with your girlfriend at the time, what was your mental state? Like, as far as I know you said you were dissatisfied uh, with, with going to school. Why do you think that was mm -hmm. what, what was your biggest mental struggle during that time? I'll back up even a little bit further and uh, we'll talk about why, I wanted to do the military or the Marine Corps specifically in the first place, but <clears throat> back in, you know, nine 11, when that happened, I was still going to school at home. And I just remember sitting in front of the computer doing my schoolwork and my sister runs in and she's like, Hey mom, I want you to come out to the, the living room and come out there in front of the TV just in time to see the second plane hit the other tower. And, you know, no idea what's really going on. Nobody has any idea what's going on just really confused and like, you know, I'm not 
how old was I? 13 years old. Would have been so, turning 14. That would have been the next yeah. month, too, two months later for me. 13 years old. And I mean, obviously, planes aren't supposed to be flying into towers, but not really putting two and two together. Right. And then they show that the Pentagon's hit. And immediately, I'm just livid because I know what that is. I mean, I know what the Pentagon is. Been to DC before. And I'm just like, who are these people? And who somebody is going to pay like that. I, I think I literally said that out loud. Somebody is going to pay. And I just remember being so angry that anybody would have the audacity to try and do something like that to our country. And that stuck with me all through high school and it, it never went away. Yeah. It was a defining It was definitely, yeah, it was the, the driving force behind why I wanted to join the military and why I wanted to go and fight. Like I wanted to take the fight to those people. And it didn't even matter if it was the same people. If it's like, if it's the same kind of people, then fine. Yep. So, you know, after, and it was kind of hard for me to doing the presidential security thing because, you know, sounded really cool. And it was really cool. Had a lot of really good experiences there. Met a lot of good people. Ended up meeting the guy that I met my wife through. So not, not something that I regret doing, but at the same time, while I was there, it was always in the back of my mind, this is not what I signed up to do. You know, you get a lot of cool training. You get to play with a lot of cool gear. You get to go to a lot of cool places. But at the end of the day, I'm sidelined. I'm not in the fight, and I want to be in the fight. So getting to deploy did scratch that itch enough to where I was comfortable getting out, knowing that I could still go other places and quote-unquote be in the fight. And then I'm in school full time and it's the same thing again. And I'm like, eh, this is not it. Like I am, I am ineffective right now. I am accomplishing nothing. And I will say that, that, that feeling was very much tempered by the fact that I was in a relationship with my girlfriend quickly became my fiance and focused on that aspect of things. Right. So I think that really, for me, kind of softened the impact of I'm not in that fight. And then getting into law enforcement, again, not the FBI, but still in law enforcement, kind of scratched that itch. However, after the way that Riverside Sheriff's Department works is that once you graduate their academy, you don't go straight to patrol. You're a sworn deputy or a sworn law enforcement officer, but first they assign you either to the jails to work in the jails or to work in the courts. So I got to go work in the jail, work in corrections for three years, which was not, not my idea of a good time. <laughs> like I, I did not enjoy that at all. I was inside all day. Most of the time sitting behind panels, pushing buttons. It's like every now and then you get something exciting that happens, but it was, it was not good. And <clears throat> Yeah, those first couple of years were rough. They were definitely rough on my marriage. And not just because of that, but there was other things that we were we were dealing with that we can get into as well. But yeah, that's I, I've kind of gone beyond answering your questions. So yeah, I mean, and there. again, it, there's, there's all kinds of different um, factors 
that play into, you know, what we're dealing with and how we deal with it. It's not just, you know, leaving the military was hard for me. Uh, I got out after uh, almost 11 years. So I stayed in, you ended up getting out Mm -hmm. right as I was uh, getting back from deployment. And then I ended up staying in, going to be an instructor at the infantry school and then deploying again later on after I got out of that. Um, so it was a little, it was obviously, it was different for me. Um, but I, I don't know that we've ever really talked about that in between period when, you know, you got out and then, cause I went to your wedding. Um, yeah. and then I remember you getting into, we saw each other a few times here and there. Yeah. But I just know it was, it was, I was so again, neck deep in infantry mm-hmm. school and I was having, you know, I was married, uh, we were having kids. And I mean, it was, we got to see each other and we stayed in touch, but it was, it was, you know, touch and go a lot. Living very different lives. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting just to, you know, to see, you know, why you decided to get out and then, you know, your plan is to, Mm -hmm. again, go to school and get into the FBI. And I remember you talking about that and wanting to do that. And then all of a sudden switching to, you know, then. Yeah. You met your girlfriend and fiance, then you got married and all of a sudden you're going to law enforcement out in California. And, and my, my initial thought was, you know, really, you're going to give up your dreams for this girl, you know, again, mm-hmm. I'd never met her. And then, you know, obviously sure. I had done the exact same thing basically. Um, yeah. when I married, and I know that wife. there's plenty of other Marines out there who, <laughs> I mean, both of us. <laughs> Yep. Both of us met our wives and very quick or you know, yeah, very yeah. quickly turned around and got married. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think for both of us there was no question that for for both of us, we had no doubt in our minds that our specific wives were the ones that we were going to settle down with, for yeah. lack of a better oh, term. Yeah. No, I mean I I but, met like I said, I met my wife in August and we were married in December. So I mean I have the same yeah. year. So I mean it was Yeah. It was it was I fat. was at that wedding. Yep. <laughs> it was fast. It didn't take very long. No. Um, so that said, I, I can remember being at Waka at the White House Communications Agency, standing there with one of my other Marine Corps buddies, and we're just talking. I don't even know how the subject came up, but I remember the words coming out of my mouth like, I would never want to be a cop. <laughs> Who would want to do that? Right. Now, <clears throat> granted, that was me, silly, naive high school, recently turned. Marine Corps, gung-ho guy, knowing absolutely nothing about law enforcement. But that was my mindset at the time. Like, I have this job. I'm doing this thing. Why would I ever want to do that? And, you know, perspectives change, thank goodness. You don't stay young and dumb forever. But, (laughs) you know, it it was rough. Allie was not married to me while I was in the Marine Corps, but she dealt with a lot of the fallout from my being in and having to adjust and deal with all the things that changed who I was while I was in. Yeah. So, and I'll just go ahead and I'll talk about this aspect of things because it's really one of the, I I think one of the biggest things that we had to deal with because when, I mean, hard to believe, but up until about a year being in the Marine Corps, up until that point in my entire life, I had never masturbated. I'd never looked at pornography. And as a Christian, 
that was on purpose. Right. And I mean, I being a year into the Marine Corps and still not having done it was not an easy thing because, you know, pornography is rampant in the military in general. Yeah. And I'm not using that as an excuse. And to be quite frank, most of the majority of the other Marines that I was around that I knew, they all knew, and they were very respectful of it. It was only a, a handful of people and a handful of times that anybody ever really gave me any serious grief over it. Right. And even that was just like, you know, shrug it off because it's like, you know, whatever, man, it's, it's my choice. That's what I do. <clears throat> so it wasn't anybody's fault but my own. But falling into that and getting addicted to pornography was a struggle for me for most of the time that I was in. And on deployment, that latter half of deployment, I was able to break the habit and get away from it. And coming back and meeting my wife, and I confessed the whole thing to her before we even got engaged because I wanted to be upfront with her. I wanted to be honest with her. And I understand that for a lot of people, this isn't a big deal. People might even think, what, like, who cares? Like, that's something everybody does. You'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find people, I think, without a religious motivation behind it who would see a problem with masturbation or pornography. But right. for me, it was a big deal because I do believe it. it was sin. And obviously for my wife, who believes the same thing, it was a big deal. And she was very understanding and forgiving of the whole thing. But the problem was that after we got married, I fell back into it. So there she is having to deal with, and I'm not blaming the military for that, obviously. Because right. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have fallen into that same trap if I had gone to college and done something else. But because it did happen while I was in the Marine Corps, it was something that she was having to deal with after the fact, which did not help all the other things that we were having to deal with that just being just a newlywed couple <laughs> or me being fed up with having to go work with all of the inmates in, inside a jailhouse every day. Yeah. And luckily, you know, that part didn't last forever. And I'm not saying everything was horrible. We had our three, three kids while we were out there in California. And in 2016, I got to finally get out of the jail and go to patrol. And that was a breath of fresh air. But it was the pornography thing has been something that we've had to deal with for years. And negatively, obviously negatively impacted our marriage. And I mean, God bless Allie for being as forgiving and loving as she is because I'm, I don't deserve it for mm. sure. Yeah. You, you and me both. But <clears throat> yeah, but you know, things are better now because we've kind of come out the other side of it. And yeah, I've been, I <laughs> feel weird saying clean yeah. or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, no, it it's true though. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I think, yeah. Being, being aware of how yeah. easy it is to fall back into that. Yeah. You know, I never, for, for me personally, I never had a problem with the, the alcohol side of things. And I don't know if that was maybe just because maybe watching all the guys come through the rehab program that my parents ran while I was a kid or yeah. maybe just never trying it. And who knows, man, they're there before the grace of God go I. And yeah. if I can fall into 
getting as easily addicted to pornography as I did. I'm sure the, the alcohol thing wouldn't be any harder for me to fall into either. But for me, that's what it was. Yeah. And for, for the longest time, for years, it was something that was actively trying to tear us apart. Right. And it made, it made dealing with anything and everything else that much harder. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that I've struggled with for years, you know, and that's something that, you know, I agree. It was, you know, it's not a, it's not a small thing uh, to me. I don't consider it a, like a minor thing. It's an addiction and it needs to be dealt with, you know, as that. Um, And that's, I believe that that's a leading cause of divorce among people in general, but Mm -hmm. I know in the military, it's like you said, it's just rampant. Same with alcohol abuse and just, there's all kinds of issues. I mean, again, it's not necessarily the military's fault and you can't blame the military for every issue you deal with, but right. there are certain things that active duty military and veterans uh, experience. That's, it's just different than, you know, than this, than civilians deal with. Um, but, and, and you know, it was very much just being honest. It was a, a stress reliever in a way it was, yeah part of how you coped yeah yep but which does doesn't make it right and doesn't excuse it and honestly it probably makes it it makes it worse well and it like like it's the exact same thing with with alcohol um you know i would turn to that and i would be stressed out and i would drink to the point that i would you know pass out or just Mm. be finally able to relax um but the issue was i was depressed and then I would drink, which is a depressant, and it would push me further into depression. Mm-hmm. I would feel good for a little while, and then it would just – it compounded the problem. Um, yep. So, I mean, I, I get that 100%. It's, it's, a, it's a coping mechanism, but it's, it's, it's a toxic coping mechanism. Uh, and it's – there's things that we turn to where we shouldn't, uh, but we – during our time in the military, we – found that to be a a release and we we kind of clung to that and carried that over into our lives outside of the military i know mm-hmm. just we're talking about that i i did and um so i know that's and that's you know i know that that's something that i've talked to a lot of guys about is it's not that the military is the only thing that caused it but it definitely didn't help <laughs> because right it's not exactly a stress-free and stress-free environment. Uh, no. It's very stressful. You're gone from home all the time. You're training. You're just dealing with. In most civilian jobs, if you screw up, most you know people aren't going to die. Uh, when you're in the military and you're and you're in the infantry, especially the infantry, and you're training or these other combat arms jobs, if you do something wrong or you suck at your job, people can literally die. So the stress is amplified quite a bit so the you know the old adage like work hard play hard uh the military takes that to a Mm -hmm. to an extreme because they they work hard and then when they you know quote unquote play hard um it everything goes yeah everything goes so it's there's a lot of things that people get introduced to in the military that they may not have uh, gotten as deeply into had they not been in the military. So after leaving the military, 
and getting, I mean, this could be during school or during, you know, your time at the jail or was there ever a time that you wanted to go back into the Marine Corps? Or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm kind of the underachiever as far as my wife's side of the family goes, because uh, her brother, he uh, he's an F-15 pilot. And her brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, he just got out of the Air Force, but he was a uh, Spectre gunship pilot for SOCOM. And then uh, we have another very, not legally our brother-in-law, but other really close friend of the family who is doing things for the Navy that is pretty high speed. Uh, so all of all three of those guys are or were at some point active. And early on, the, uh, the Navy guy and John, the gunship pilot, they were deploying on and off. And every time they deployed, I just got the sickest feeling in the pit of my stomach. Because, yeah. you know, and it was really hard for me to explain, but it would, you know, basically, I, I won't say drought drove me into depression, but I would get depressed and I would get, get moody and grumpy about it. And <clears throat> it would, we, we had a couple discussions. I won't say they were quite arguments, but Allie didn't under, I wouldn't say she didn't understand, but didn't agree with maybe the emphasis that I put on that aspect of my life like she she understood the whole patriotism side of it she got that she's all for it but really tried to impress on me that that is not the end all be all that is not who you are yeah you know you're not an american first you're not a marine first like you are who you are in christ yeah like your faith your faith needs to be what comes first yep. and i knew she was right <laughs> it's not like i could argue with her about yep. it but at the same time it was super hard for me to even begin to arrive at that place where i could be honest with myself and say it doesn't matter what happens here it doesn't matter what happens to this country it doesn't matter what happens to this world because at the end of the day i am who i am in jesus christ yeah I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Those are my responsibilities. That needs to be what defines me. Yeah. But early on, especially with my time, my time on active duty being so recent, so fresh, and not really having anything at work that even began to scratch that itch, it was super, super hard for me to let go. And I, I remember we were actually talking about it today. We're at a beach house with our family and all the footage starts coming on the news about, you know, right after we left Iraq, ISIS just rolling in. And I was yeah. just like, it, it completely turned me upside down for a while. And I was, I, I couldn't focus on anything. I was seriously considering like, maybe, maybe I just need to go back in. Yeah. Maybe I need to do that. <clears throat> and that was, I mean, that never really went away for years, man. I mean, I got to got out on patrol and started doing the the real cop kind of thing and catching some bad guys and doing some cool stuff. And like I said, that scratched the itch kind of a thing. But at the same time, whenever you see, you know, your friends or your family going back on deployment, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And you're like, 
I wish I was going. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, I just wish that I was going not because of the adrenaline rush. And, and that's, you know, that's another thing that's kind of hard to explain. It's not so much about the adrenaline rush, yeah. you know, it, it, is it a rush? Sure. But you know, it's, it's also probably the scariest thing that you'll ever experience. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not, it's, it's, it's not like I crave the adrenaline rush. It's, it's more, at least for me, I felt guilty. I felt guilty every time they left and I didn't leave. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. Yep. And it really took a long time for me to let God work in my heart and get me to a place where it was like, it doesn't matter that you're not there because I have work for you here to do. Yeah. You have your kids here. You have your wife here. They need you. You have a job. And I'm not going to say that I'm a hundred percent better at that either. I mean, it's still, <laughs> it's still hard. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, the job I'm at now, a lot of the things I do where I work now is because I'm still kind of trying to scratch that itch and it's still, you know, it can be a source of contention sometimes, but like I said, I can't, I can't argue with what Ali is saying when she yep. says your faith needs to be the priority. Like Jesus <laughs> needs to be your priority. Yep. And I know that can be weird for a lot of people to hear because, you know, if you're not a Christian, that's probably a pretty hard thing to understand. But yep. that is literally what has got me, has helped me cope. Yeah. That's what's helped me defeat the addiction to pornography. That's what's helped me let go of that feeling of guilt overriding everything else when somebody else deploys. That's what has helped me let go of I have to fight for my country. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it is not the end all be all. It cannot be your end all be all. Yeah. Because at the end of this day, and it might be easier for a lot of people to reconcile that aspect of things nowadays. Because I think a lot of us who went over there and fought the fight that we fought, I think it's pretty easy to see on this side of things, history and hindsight being 2020, that we weren't really there for the reasons we thought we were there. Yep. And, and that can be super hard to deal with. Yeah, that's I, been something that I've I will say that. Deal yeah. with. <laughs> and, and again, my faith, my relationship with Jesus is really what I credit, who I credit with being able to help me cope with that. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I, I completely agree in that it's, you know, I've been out uh, in March, I've been out uh, six years mm. and, and you've been out for 11, over a decade. Yeah. Like 11 years now. Yeah. And I mean, I'm six years out and I think I'm, I'm about to the place where I can, I could just about do not any job, but I could do a job that I didn't. I'm not looking for fulfillment in my job or my career. 100%. I'm looking for fulfillment. You know, I have fulfillment in my faith. I have fulfillment in my family. Um, and that's what I really focus on. But I chased that fulfillment, you know, in the Marine Corps. <clears throat> you know, like I talked about in the other the other episodes, that's what drove me to the different jobs that I did and you know, wanting to deploy and everything else was just chasing that fulfillment. And I never found it. Um, and that's, right. you know, 
So I totally because you won't. Yeah, you won't. You won't find it by looking for it in a job or a you know a promotion or anything like that. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask was, do you ever deal with the idea? And I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you ever deal with the idea or the thought that you didn't do enough? In earlier moment? on, or earlier on, definitely. Yeah, I, I would say 100. percent I would say that this side of things, where I am now, I <clears throat> I won't say no. It's hard not to feel that way, but I will say it's not as overriding as it was. And there's also the aspect of it for me to where I'm, I, I think that the fight that we thought we were fighting was never really the fight that we were fighting. We were fighting somebody else's fight. Yeah. And so for me, the whole not doing enough in that aspect of it, it's like, screw those guys. Yeah. Who cares if I didn't do enough fighting their war? That said, there's still all of the guys that didn't get to come back from that fight where, you know, you can't help but wonder if things had gone differently. Could you have done something to change that? Sure. I don't know. I think it's still one of my biggest fears is not doing enough. And the perspective has changed. My focus has shifted, but I still, still one of my biggest fears is failing to do what I'm supposed to do, failing to, to do what I was put here in this time, in this place to do. Yeah. And especially right now with just where, where our country is and what's happening with it and what's been happening for the past three years, especially. And looking back at all the, the guys that we knew that, gave their blood, sweat, and tears, and sometimes their lives for what they thought was their country. And, you know, even all the guys throughout history that sacrificed so that we got to grow up in the country that we did, that question is always in the back of my mind, like, are we doing enough? Yeah. I mean, it's something I I struggle with constantly, answering that question of what are we supposed to do here in this situation at this point in history? What is incumbent on on us as as the veterans, you know, literally, I, I feel as the population that the people in charge are probably rightly most afraid of. So one thing I wanted to ask um, just in general is what is what are your thoughts on the veteran community as a whole? Good things, bad things, things that we can do better things that we probably should stop doing stuff like that. That's a loaded question. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, try and answer this tactfully if I can. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like we wear it on our sleeves a little too much. Yeah. I, I think that in a lot of cases we feel like we're owed maybe more than we ought to. And that's not to say that, the sacrifices we make and the service that we give should not be respected or appreciated. But, you know, I think back to, uh, I'm a big history buff and George Washington has always been kind of a hero of mine, but he, uh, in his farewell address to his troops at the end of the, the revolutionary war, it's a really, it's a really good read if you ever get the time, but in it, he basically talks about, 
hey, you know, you guys have been through, you've been through it all. You've been to hell and back. You've fought and, and basically given everything to create this country. Now go and make something of it. Don't expect any handouts. Don't expect your fellow countrymen to give you everything because you were the one who bled and sweated over it. It's on you. You go out and you make something of it. And I think that that is something that's been lost a little bit. And I, I'm, you know, keenly aware of the fact that there's lots of veterans in the community. I think especially the guys in Vietnam doing a completely thank thankless job and getting no respect, getting the opposite of respect for what they did. Yeah. For answering the call, you know, right or wrong, whatever you feel about the war, but their country asked them to give something and they did. Yep. And, you know, they got treated horribly for it. And that's never acceptable. <clears throat> but at the same time, if that's the reason you did it, then you did it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, and I completely get that there's a, a lot that we as a community and we as individuals have to deal with as a result to varying degrees of what we saw and what we did. But I think that the biggest mistake would be expecting, especially the government, to be responsible for compensating us for that because that's what they want. That's why the, ta the TAPS program, like we talked about, that's why they teach you, hey, this is how you collect unemployment. Right. That's yeah. why they don't want you going out there and making something of yourselves because they want this community dependent on the government. Yeah. They do not want this community active in the civilian population starting businesses, raising families, going out there and, and building the country that they fought for. They don't want that. And I think when we sit here, and I don't want to be <clears throat> callous, but wring our hands and focus on the things that drive us to depression and the things that we wish we did more, we definitely do ourselves a disservice. And I understand it's a lot easier for some to get over. It's a lot easier. I mean, you uh, you said you were going to have a lot of cool people on the podcast, and you will. I'm going to go go ahead and say I'm not <laughs> one of those guys. You know, I did I did not do a ton of crazy cool stuff. I mean, I deployed. I saw combat. Plenty of guys saw more than me, and plenty of guys have a lot more issues to deal with as a result of it than I do. But at the end of the day, at some point, we are responsible for whether or not we take that next step. Yeah. It's no different from any challenge that we faced while we were in. We have to take that next step. You become stagnant. We start to wallow in our, our self-pity. And, and that's when everything goes downhill, I think. Uh, as a community, man, there's a lot of guys out there doing a lot of good stuff. As a, as a cop, I see it every day. I see, see the veterans on the side of the road panhandling for money, spending that money on meth and whatever else, alcohol. And I'm not talking about like your Vietnam era guys. I'm talking about young guys back from Afghanistan, back from Iraq, guys who could be out there using their money to go to school, out there using the GI Bill to start a business. And it, you know, it breaks my heart because they don't need to be there, but nobody is pushing them to be more, to be better. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know what you do about that. Because like I said, for me, and I, I personally believe the answer 
is is Jesus. You know, people need Jesus. As corny or cheesy as that sounds, man, I mean that he is the answer. So yeah. I don't know. If you don't like it, I'm not sorry. But <laughs> and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> you asked what I feel. That's yep. what I feel. No, and I so. wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you. Um, he's the only reason I'm still here. Um, yeah. And I, so 100%. 100%. And I get some people push back against that for a litany of reasons. Um, but, you know, I appreciate that your honesty. And I, I mean, I, I know that's the answer because I've known you for 20 plus years. Um, but it's good to, to hear you say it and, you know, just share it with everybody else, too. And I, I appreciate your perspective of the, you know, the veteran community because I, I feel the same way. There's there's guys with legitimate issues and girls with legitimate mental health and physical issues that need to be uh, dealt with. But I think there's a lot of other veterans that are, they're, they're taking advantage of the system to try and um, yeah. make life easier for themselves and justify or guys that just carry a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. It's yeah. like, <clears throat> <laughs> it, it does yeah. bug me a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. I think everybody yeah. knows a, a bro vet that walks around like he's the coolest thing ever. Cause he did this or that. Or yeah. maybe he didn't do this or that. He just likes to think that he did that. The guy who goes to Red Robin every Veterans Day for the fries. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and not because he likes the fries and not because he likes Red Robin. Yeah. Yeah. He gets upset when there's not well, a he, discount. Because he's going to get his one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. So don't be that guy. But for sure. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to you want to share? Because, I mean, all all you know, seven people that listen to this podcast, I'm sure they're just <laughs> waiting with bated breath uh, to hear what you have to impart to them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really think of any parting words of wisdom. I think I, I think I gave him a little while ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to top that. So <laughs> if I, if I thought I was going to top that, then I have problems. Right. Yeah. It's never, it's never me. Yep. I agree. But I, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's been a, it's been fun and I will, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll say this. Uh, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is the friendship that we've had over the last couple of decades at this point, man. It's yeah, been right. A, it's been a good ride. Yeah. One yeah, that as I far as getting look cool forward to continuing. The, oh yeah. And yeah. getting cool people on the show. Just, just for the record, you're one of the coolest people in my life. So I appreciate oh. you coming on and I making the time. That. I know you got, you got all kinds of stuff going on, wife and kids and, it's not easy to get away for, you know, what are we on now? About two hours or so. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it takes, it takes a, an effort to get away for that long. So I appreciate it. I'll say that, man. Like we, we've talked about it a couple of times on the other episodes that I got to listen to that you've done already. And one of the biggest things that veterans struggle with is that identity crisis and getting out, and no longer having that identity. And that's probably what leads to what we talked about too. So many guys wearing it on their shoulder. Yeah. And I would really encourage anybody listening to try and accept and get to the point where that's not your identity. That's not where it lies. Okay. If you've got a family, if you're married, if you've got a wife, your identity is as a dad. Your identity is as a father to your kids and a husband to your wife. And at the end of the day, real identity is is found in your creator, right? Yep. The God who created you, the God who laid his life down for you so that you could have a relationship with him. That's where your identity 
is only ever going to be found. Yep. And the honest truth is that until you come to that point, you will always struggle with how to identify yourself. Yep. There's a, I'm not talking about identifying your pronouns. I'm talking about where you find purpose. (laughs) I had to throw that in. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's fine. hundred percent completely agree. And I appreciate your insight as always. I value your input. Like I always have. So same, but really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you here in about two minutes. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but as far as the episode goes, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, thanks again for you know to Bryce for being here and for being my friend and just you know being a, a positive influence in my life for the last 21 years now, whatever it is, something like that, over 20 years. <laughs> and that makes me, makes me feel old. The gray in that beard is earned. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. uh, And, you know, we'll see you again on the next one. Love you guys. Hey, guys, quick reminder, if you enjoyed the episode today, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, go to whatever platform you listen to these podcasts on and leave a review. That's the best way to help us out. Uh, It gets a lot more traffic to us. So again, if you liked it, like, subscribe, and uh, leave a review. All right. Love you guys.
aviation 